to Radio TFS, episode number 79. Hi, this is Martin Woodward. And this is Greg Duncan. Hey, Greg. How you doing? Good, my friend. And how are you? Very good, thank you. We've been busy as usual. I've just, as we were getting ready for show, I finally got the other show out the door. And um, sorry about that, everybody. It's summertime. Uh, apologies, everybody's on vacation. And then we've also been busy back in the office as well. We've shipped a few things. So should we should we jump straight into it? Yeah, I think so. So first of all, uh, John Montgomery did a great post about um, Visual Studio uh, 14 CTP2. In the last show, we talked about CTP1. And here we go. We've shipped CTP2 already. So... Um, uh, that's big news, and 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 Brian Harry also blogged about it. We'll put a link into into both um, into you know we'll put a link to both articles. A couple of the things that we've got. Um, I don't know if you've done uh, you know anything around some of the games editing, but uh, there has been some improvements there around you know some of some of the way you know, the DirectX debugging, which mm. is just crazy. That's like stuff I never use at all, but it does now. Um, some of the one of the things I do use quite a bit actually is we've improved the touch support uh in uh, the visual studio editor do you really so, use that i, I saw that yeah, in the notes I, I, and i kind of wondered i i use my um it's weird i use so i use my i've got an a, uh, asus uh, ux something or other it's t- it's a great laptop it's really thin you know ultrabook sort of thing mm-hmm. and i find myself quite often you know flipping between the two um, and there's certain things I do where I'm tapping the screen right. rather than a mouse. And scrolling is one of the things, and, and pinch to zoom is definitely one I use quite a bit. Tap to hold for context menus and double tap for words and things like that, not at all. I never use those. I just always use my mouse because I always, if I'm coding, I always have a mouse. Right. But um, the pinch to zoom one and some of the scrolling stuff, the pinch to zoom one I use in some of the, the not the, the code editor as much, but some of the other editors, you know, when you're zooming around diagrams and things, so. Yeah, I use it quite a bit, to be honest. Um, and then, uh, as with, um, so, well, we've, we've also uh, shipped update three of um, Visual Studio 2013. And so we um, we added an option in there and in uh, Visual Studio 14. You know, we were we used to be shouting at you <laughs> in the menus. Because everything was all caps. Yeah, which well, we have an email on at yes, the end of the show. But, uh... No, we can go do that now. Who was the email? Uh, that was from our friend from Graham Pembury, and he basically um, was talking about the uh, Visual Studio Update 3 RC. And that's another thing that's new in this show is since we last talked, Update 3 to Visual Studio 2013 is RC'd. So mm. uh, it's getting getting We're close. Getting close. And he was the originator of the suggestion for mixed case menus in Visual Studio in the um, user voice. So he was very excited and he emailed us and says, Woo, I win. You know. Yeah, yeah, it's good. And there's other, lots of other stuff as well in CTP2. Um, I mean, and Brian goes through a bunch of the things as well that, uh, that you know, in his, in his blog post. Um, one of the things that he says is quite ominous, was it? I'm not going to make too big a deal because there's going to be loads of these because we're shipping them basically every month kind of thing, you know what I mean? But um, one of the things that's really, really useful about these CTPs is the um, the Azure VMs get right. updated. 
Did I tell you the story last time about how I forgot my computer going? Yeah, to a yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was just awesome. I was just like on my phone, create a VM. So no, having the these um, the VM template gallery and just having been able to get the latest CTP, it's just brilliant. And especially now, most of my code is actually stored in Visual Studio Online. My TFS is virtualized and running the latest version all the time, and then I can just you know bring up a dev desktop really quickly. I was talking to um, one of the guys on the the GIF Windows project, and uh, he. He was raving about how fast like these Azure VMs were, uh-huh. and he was like, "Oops, I've used all my credit up for the month because he had like an A7, you know, which is like a 80 million cores, you know, <laughs> four gig, four terabytes of RAM. I don't know, something ridiculous." But I was like, "Yeah, they would be fast. Stick to the A2s; they kind of last a lot longer." But um, yeah, no, it's uh, they're definitely these these machines are in Azure are amazing, and if if you quite. Um, you know, if you switch them on and off again, they don't cost you much money at all, especially, you know, even for a big instance. I, I was actually thinking about doing a, a – here's a free, um, you know, startup idea for anybody if they want some. And there must be this out there. But I, I want to – I just want a um, an online system where I can tell it – like I can point it at an Azure virtual machine and I can give it a schedule, you know, like uh, have the days of the week and times and just have it switch the machine on automatically for me and during those times and off There again. was – in the 1.9 bazillion feeds that I read, I saw that there is actually a scripting, a PowerShell script for that uh, to power on and up your machines. Because, like you were just talking about, exactly that. Why have it on? If you're only needing it nine, but yeah. nine to five, you know, it should be really easy to do. So there is a PowerShell script. I'll have to see if I can find it. Huh. We'll talk about it next show. That would be cool. I mean, it would it'd like it. Uh, yeah, I can. It, I would love it to be a web service that I could do. But no, definitely a PowerShell script would be fine. Scott Hanselman did some automation stuff around Azure that I could build build this onto. Yeah, that I, I think that, sh- that script was based off of that. You know, there you go. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. No, because that would be awesome. I, I would fit, what I what I, the reason I actually wanted it was um, so I was doing some stuff with my son over the. Ho- I was I've been off on vacation and I was doing some stuff with my son while I was off. On vacation and obviously we were playing on the computer and one of the things we did was set up a minecraft server in azure uh-huh. you know, so you could do minecraft and um and for that i was wanting it i was wanting it so he can do it with his school friends and have you know a, a server that he's just doing doing with his friends that's whitelisted right but i want um I, I also wanted it to only be on during you know the 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 hours of <laughs> i'm home from school but i'm but it's not too late to be playing on the computer right which is pretty limited in terms of Azure time. And that could easily fit into my MSDN subscription allowance, you know. Anyway, there we go. Uh, for dev and test purposes only, of course. Yeah. So um, we might, might as well cover update three while we're at, at it, actually. So um, in Visual Studio, so Visual Studio 14, CTB2 is out. And then the release candidate for Visual Studio 2013. So, you know, it means we're getting very close to the Visual Studio uh, release candidate coming out again. The did DirectX uh, graphics analyzer. Oh, that must have been updated for Dev 13. I've been playing with the one in Dev 14, but the one in Dev, sorry, in Dev 12 uh, in Visual Studio 2014 must have been uh, updated. It must have been updated there and carried through into Dev 14. So there we go. Application Insights has had a lot more work gone in, especially in some of the, um, so that's the logging and, you know, a- analytics framework stuff. We've uh, got some really good templates now and some good tools for actually helping you add analytics into your applications. Um, some great stuff around looking at um, um, managed memory dumps. If you've got the, you know, the, the the dumps of your .NET sort of processes of div died, trying to find actually what went wrong is can be quite tricky. Right. We often get these dumps out of things like 
like IIS and stuff, you know, if if we if we see a problem on like the Coplex servers and things, then we might take a dump of the server and then you go spelunking, you know, trying to figure out what's wrong. And this is a great graphical way of being able to help you to f- actually analyze these and trying to figure out what happened. Um, around, you know, man, man looking at your, as you're doing more and more things for smaller devices and smaller phones, actually being able to look at the, um, uh, being able to, you know, look at, what's actually happening in those applications is useful you know especially if you're doing a uh, you know doing something that's going to run on a on a windows tablet or something it's great to actually uh, be able to really closely look at your CPU and your memory usage and so we've done some improvements on the memory usage tool. Speaking of Windows Store applications, we did some work there around um, if you set up, quite often when you're doing Windows Store app development, you'll have your app running full screen on one monitor and then have Visual Studio running in the other, which is a really good way of working, you know, and you can without editing continue stuff, you know, you can, it just works really well, but it would keep forgetting which mem- monitor it was on and all that so this helps you uh this helps you figure that out and obviously the shouty co lens stuff we talked about <laughs> one of the things that i've been using the most i've been de- i've been dogfooding it for quite a long time now um is the co lens improvements especially around git um the coplex cobase is is all in git and has been for a long time and so um the the code lens stuff functionalities really help me as I'm digging, you know, as I come up to speed of the codeplex code base. Right. Actually, help me dig around that code base and 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 you know go spelunking through the code. I found it very very useful. So um, so the best thing base, about that, go ahead. The code base for that is small enough where it makes sense to to put into Git because you and I have talked about you know some of the guidelines of what's good for TVSC and versus what's good for uh, yeah. Git so and, I mean. Yeah, it's because it is, it is a large code base. Let me have a look, actually, how big the repo is. I can do that quickly now as we're speaking. It, it is a large code base, but it's all code. There isn't a lot of binaries in ah, there. Yeah. And it's the binaries that really make like Git repositories explode. But yeah, let me just let me just have a quick look. That's an interesting question. C dev coplex. Um, and then let's right click on my .git folder and see how big it is. Wait there. I'll, uh, let me have a quick look. It's pretty big. Looking at this, this is the expanded repository. Is wow, is uh, two gig or something like that, wow. which is fair big. So yeah, works fine. <laughs> It works absolutely fine, absolutely perfectly. I think cloning it initially might have taken a while, <laughs> but no, it it works just beautifully. And we have the we have the code for um, Codeplex is stored in Coplex, but it's also stored in a Visual Studio Online um, Git Git repository as well. Right. And there's um, a, a sync that that runs on a box that keeps the two in sync, sort of thing, so that we can we 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 use Coplex as the master because we just like to dog food Coplex, but we also we're on the Visual Studio Online team as well, so we also like to you know test out the code with a large code base and make sure it all works, and so uh, we have that mirroring the code back to Visual Studio Online for us, and yeah, it works just perfectly cool. no, no bother what's all whatsoever and back to the the story item so the, the new code lens that's available is working good in a repository that size as well yeah it works great uh we was there was some initially some performance things you know just we um one of the interesting things is uh 
because Git, everything's done client-side, like everything. So um, the way that they do this, that everything works client-side in the Colen stuff as well for Git, right. which is really cool because um, it not only does it mean, it, it means it can do some deep inspections of stuff and then cache those results and do it all locally. It doesn't have to make lots of server calls, which is interesting. So it's, it scales really well. It doesn't put a load on your server. But another thing that's interesting is... Um, uh, because it works against any Git repository, your Git repository doesn't have to be stored in TFS. So it can be stored in Coplex or on GitHub or wherever, and it still works just great against your Git repository and still gives you all those great analytics if you have Visual Studio Ultimate. So it's, it's um, I love it. It's really good. So, yeah, so that was uh, Visual Studio uh, Ultimate, uh, Visual Studio Release Candidate 3, uh, Update DTP 2, Visual Studio 14. Last thing is probably worth mentioning is Visual Studio Online. Um, mostly around, uh, we've done some changes around the Agile dashboards. Uh, you, we'll put a link to show notes to explain more. Um, you know, you can move things around easier. Where a lot of the work's been happening is, is around the APIs and how we have all the REST APIs for everything now and uh, and full service hook supports, including for things like the pull requests feature we added recently. So it's been, you know, we've been taking along on the Visual Studio Online stuff and lots of things come out. Probably the biggest news, I'm going st- to steal all of these. these <laughs> Go ahead, my the biggest news is probably the uh, Brian blogged about the licensing changes that are coming up right. for yeah, Visual Studio was, Online actually. and TFS. So do you want to do you want to talk about some of that? As I've talked about all this news, <laughs> how about that? Well, Brian blogged about, and this was just this week or last week. Um, we added this thing called stakeholder licensing, right? Uh, right. Where it, we yeah, go ahead. We've had this um, in TFS. For forever, for a while now, we've had a work item web access, which is kind of a limited uh, access to uh, TFS Cal that lets anybody create work items, view their own work items. But it's been, you know, pretty small uh, slice of the available TFS functionality. And it's got a rubbish name as well, WeWork. <laughs> but in, in the web world, in the cloud yeah. world, in the online world, that's not going to cut it. And, you know, you'll want to expand the scope of this without, you know, dragging down the cost. So Brian talks about the new capability coming or licensing coming soon to VSO, which is the stakeholders, like you mentioned. And, and this is a much broader access uh, or license to Visual Studio Online, which gives you full read, write, and create to all work items. And that's that's a key point that's different than mm-hmm. what we've currently got. Um, you can create, run, and save queries, uh, work item queries. You can view the project and team homepages, which is also very important. You can access the backlog, including add and update. Um, you can't reprioritize Word, but work, but you can add and update it, and you can now get work item alerts. So you can set up when I create a work item, I want to get new alerts, I want to get when these are closed. You would not give this to you know, necessarily everybody in the organization, but those primary stakeholders, those people involved in your projects that aren't necessarily in TFS all day, but you still want to give them the view. This is a perfect tool for that. And what's really good about it is that they can access code. You know, so these are stakeholders. They're not people who are yeah. going to be coding. They're not doing builds. They're not doing test hubs. They don't even have access to the team rooms. Um, there's no administration functionality available to them. So, you know, it, it does a good 
balancing act of what a stakeholder kind of role would need without giving away everything. And if you wanted to, you know, roll it out to your company and say, hey, I want, um, Brian talks in the post about how this is going to be applied to on-premises TFS as well. And, and we're hoping to get it in uh, within, you know, the, the, the Visual Studio, the TFS 2013 timeframe. Right. But, you know, that's that's the hope with no promises yet. We'll see how we get on. But um, the, the goal is that if you just want to say everybody in my company can access the TF- TFS, you know, and just go and uh, create work, create bugs and, and view bugs and, you know, see if this bug is a duplicate of another bug, you can you can enable all those scenarios now. If you wanted to open up your entire bug database to the entire company, you could do that now. But you but they don't go and see all the code. They don't go and, you know, yeah, they don't go hanging around the code and everything. They just have ultimate access and, you know, ultimate visibility into the into the uh, work items and things and some of that stuff. So it's all good. And, you know, as you said that, I heard everybody out there listening shudder. Oh, my God, there's no way out. If you want to. <laughs> But the, many people do. And the important thing, though, is that yeah. you can give the project managers, you can give those other people, yeah. those power users, that kind of access. Those Maybe you have gatekeepers in your organization. They're business users, but they're trying to manage projects and they're responsible for from the business side of, of prioritizing this work and seeing what, what it's up to and um, where it's at. You know, That's where this kind of thing really will add a lot of value. Definitely. It also opens up a lot of scenarios, especially when you add in some of the automation stuff. If you want to send people Excel reports or automatically update, you can do that now and you don't need to worry about who gets that Excel report. Right. You know, if you want to... Um, I didn't even think about that. That's good. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you want to build an app, if you want to build something into your applications, it automatically can uh, create a, a bug or a, or a suggestion feature, you know, a work item into your TFS repository. If you wanted to actually add that into your application, you can do that now and not worry about where it gets deployed inside your company, you know. So there's, uh, it really opens up a lot of scenarios that customers have been asking for um, and just makes it a lot easier for people to use TFS. And it's not like we're losing revenue because these, these are not people who are going to buy TFS cows anyway. Um, this is just, you know, it just makes TFS just a heck of a lot more useful for uh, for the development team so it made a lot of sense I'm, re- I'm really pleased we did that licensing changes are always one of those hard things to get done you know uh, we often have like what I would call bugs in licensing <laughs> as well as bugs in the features and I'm really glad we've done this one I think it's going to make TFS and Visual Studio on a whole lot more useful for a whole lot more people so that's cool yeah. go ahead yeah, I just see it avoiding the you know multiple lists you know even in our organization here we have multiple lists of stuff you know of of work so because there was no real way that i could give the business users enough access to the tfs so this would definitely solve that just give them a spreadsheet that is live to the TFS work items, you know, yep. and you sorted. It's all good. I, the number of times I used to go into, well, that was the first thing as a consultant when I went on site, you know, when we were trying to do, like, look at bugs and look at uh, feature requests and things. It was just getting a, getting to the point where we had a single definitive version of what we wanted to get done. You know, it was yep. that was half the battle. I'd, normally, I'd go into meetings and be like, oh, I'm on version four final of the bug list. And they're, oh, crying out loud, you know. Let's just have a single source of the truth. <laughs> One and then we list can to rule them all. Absolutely. Exactly. Hey, we're at the halfway mark already, Greg. Well, and it's about that time then. Episode 79 of Radio TFS is brought to you by SAS Made Easy, a leader in hosted TFS, dedicated virtual servers, and TFS 
ALM Consulting. You can reach them at www.sasmadeeasy.com or via email at sales at S-A-A-S-M-A-D-E-E-A-S-Y.com. And now it's back to the show and talking about the show and talking about yeah. TFS and talking about Brian Harry. Funny that. Um, He's been busy blogging once again. <laughs> We've talked about in the past about how, and you were just doing it today about dog fooding. You know, mm. Brian's posted in one of the links in the show notes about how Microsoft is using TFS, and uh, he used to do it monthly and give graphs and stuff. He's, he's slacked off on that a little bit, or backed off on. A little Aaron's bit. been doing a bit some on the Visual Studio ALM blog, but still, we haven't done one recently. We'd realized, you know, so it's nice that Brian decided to do one. Yeah. And this one is inside, whereas VSO. Is, isn't that isn't Aaron's like all of VSO everybody using it or is his... no 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 Aaron's was just the internal ah. Aaron's was just the internal ones it wasn't VSO numbers I don't think we publish VSO numbers yet we probably you know maybe we should we we could even publish the numbers of internal users we have using VSO which is quite staggeringly large as well oh, that was my favorite quote from Brian's post the numbers are really staggeringly large yes <laughs> uh, sixty eight TFS instances. 62,000 unique users, 15,581 projects, 42 million work items. I love that. Source code files, 320 million source code files, half million builds a month, 9 million test cases. And that's what's interesting there is the growth. The 30-day growth is it's actually grown a million test cases in just the 30 days. So, you know, I just love seeing the dog fooding and seeing the proof in the pudding for these kind of things. Yeah, one of the things Brian mentions in this, something I've kind of hinted at, but I've not really explicitly mentioned in, in the show, is um, we recently, so, you know, we've, we've got a lot of the company over, is now running on TFS nowadays, on-premise TFS. And, you know, we're getting to a point now where we, we don't have lots of fire drills and that anymore. And it's making a lot of sense for us now. Well, heck, we should have a lot more people on Visual Studio Online. And we moved um, the TFS team and some other engineering system teams around the company who we, we closely work with. Uh, we moved all those guys over into Visual Studio Online. So TFS and, you know, all that stuff and is all all in Visual Studio Online now um, is what we use for our, our, our repository, which is pretty huge. So, um, yeah, and it's it's a very, very active account, as you can imagine. Um, and uh, it's, 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 been, it's been interesting for us. It hasn't caused us many problems so far. It's been actually surprisingly good fun for <laughs> us all to use. The, the best thing is because, um, you know, your features just show up so quick. <laughs> but, you know, it is one. I mean, we already had... Our instance was what we used to use. We had an, an instance called Pioneer, and this kind of replaces Pioneer to a large extent. I don't know if you ever heard us talk about that. It was our, it was our like uh, Canary instance, you know? Mm. Um, and so we've kind of, this kind of replaces that to a large extent. But no, it's been very, very busy. We've done a lot of changes as part of this. Um, but no, we're using Visual Studio Online now. It's been very interesting. So, so all good stuff. Anyway, it's worth a blog. It's worth reading. If you, especially readers of this podcast, like the yeah. inside baseball stuff, it's very, definitely worth reading. Not just for the numbers, which are staggeringly large, as Brian says, <laughs> but for the, uh, the, the, the discussion afterwards. Hey, um, Martin Hinselwood's been at it again. Uh, one of the things, if you're doing any automation with Visual Studio Online, that you might need to do is to dig into TFS service credentials. That's a way of getting a um, 
a, a user ID, if you like, that you can use in your automation when talking to TFS using the APIs. And you it, it, it don't need to like, you know, put your username and password in. It's a way of getting a user that can work on behalf of you. Um, so he, Martin did the credential viewer early on and he's just, uh, he's just updated the TFS service credential viewer, which we'll, we'll have a link to. And it's something I have installed. I, I have a PowerShell script, which can go do this sort of thing. Uh, which we had internally, and I still just use Martin's tool, to be honest, when I need a service <laughs> credential. It's so much easier. So, uh, yeah, if anybody needs one of these things, then take a look. And he also explains a bit more in his post about exactly what a, a service credential is. Have you ever, you've, do you, did you get from reading the post what you would need a service credential for? Uh, to use the TFS APIs in VSO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's whenever you want to do some automation and you want it to act as a user. Actually, so you don't want it. He makes it ahead. really clear on that. You know, if you're doing the automation, you know, you don't want to use your Microsoft ID token exactly. because that expires after two days. So, you know, that, yep. that will just be not good. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then another post that was interesting is uh, Rob Cedar did a, um, a post on using uh, Xamarin Source Tree and you know other non-Visual Studio clients to talk to uh, um, Git in Visual Studio Online. Um, and it talks about how you, how it all works and it works great because hey, guess what? It is Git. You know that's crazy. But the 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 main gotcha that people have is um, is around the credentials. You um, you have to enable what's called um, in in Visual Studio alternate credentials. It's basically basic authentication is the underlying mechanism that it's using to talk to your Git root server. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you go to uh, your you know your little profile, you can go in and set up your alternate credentials. And, and Rob takes you through that. And that's what you need to do if you're going to talk to um, Visual Studio Online from, say, Xcode or from Xamarin Source Tree or something like that. One of the things we enabled specifically for Xcode, interestingly enough, is the um, a secondary username. So it, uses, it by default sets up your username as your, you know, your live ID, uh, you, you know, username. Right. Um, including like at hotmail.com or at live.com or in my case at woodwardweb.com. Um, and then it allows you to set a password for this for your alternate credentials rather than using federated authentication, which is what we normally use. But then um, you can also set a secondary username up as well. Why would you need that, you may ask? And the reason you need that is because Xcode actually doesn't like usernames with an at in them. It thinks, because um, if you think about a URL, Apps oh. used as a separator in a URL between username and password. And so it thinks you're trying to like <laughs> set your, yeah, it parses it wrong. And so because of that issue, we added this feature in like long, long, long ago before even uh, we'd even announced we were doing Git. We added this in into your credentials and had it behind the feature flag. So it's been there forever, but that's why it's there. There you go. Nice. So. I just wanted to call out, we talked about this utility back in show 73. It's a utility from Mateus Scold, the TFS Administrator Toolkit for VS. There's versions for 2010, 2012, 2013. The one I used was for 2013. And this Administrator's Toolkit is an extension for Visual Studio that uh, one of the features in it is find in files. I had one of our users, we were looking for a string literal in, a, in our TFS repository. You know, it was a SQL select because one of our administrators was saying, this query is like out of control. And we're all like, who owns this code? So we were digging through our repository, you know, looking to who to blame, the important thing. And uh, they were asking me, being the TFS guy, Greg, can I search all of TFS easily? And I was like, yeah. 
pointed this at this tool. We installed this, found the code. Uh, it was really easy. Th there's a couple things with this um, with this utility in that the stop search, at least in the 2013 version, doesn't actually stop. So that's mm -hmm. always kind of fun, which I reported to Mateus. And, you know, you can search what's really nice and what's different. I know I heard all of you out there. Well, I'll just get all the code and do a search that way. But you can't search through the history doing it that way. This tool goes against TFS and will actually search in the history. And it can do regex stuff too, case-sensitive stuff or not. Um, you can select the project. You can select all the projects from the root on down. So um, I just wanted to call out and say, you know, we've talked about this utility before, but now I've actually used it. Uh, and it was, it was a lifesaver. You know, we've, we were able to find who to blame really quickly. <laughs> and Important. You need to know who to blame. <laughs> Always do. Huh? Uh -huh. Uh, and another post is uh, that we'll have in the show notes. You know, we talk about the power tools a lot. So these are the TFS server power tools, not the administration power tools, but the TFS tools. And there's a number of them. And, you know, as the number of TFS instances that may be installed out there grow and the number of Visual Studio instances installed on the machines grow, I've heard and seen people ask, okay, um, I've got Visual Studio 2013 connecting to TFS 2012. What power tool should I install? Well, ah, uh -huh. this post gives you that answer. And what's really nice is they also give you the links from all, basically to all the power tools from TFS 2005 all the way to 2013. Cool. Cool. Um, so while we were talking about the REST APIs earlier right. as well, um, uh, Clemens did a great post, not just talking about the REST APIs we have in Visual Studio Online, but also um, he did a, uh, a Xamarin application um, to create a client that could talk to the Visual Studio Online team rooms using the REST APIs. But the client actually works on Windows Phone 8, iPhone, and Android, and it's using Xamarin. It's all .NET code. You know, it uses JSON.NET, the our HTTP client libraries, PCO storage from Coplex and some other bits of code is through together and the rest APIs SDK stuff and got it all and done a quick mobile app you know it works um, not just as I say not just on Windows Phone 8 but also on iPhone on Android which is pretty cool so uh, yeah he's got the he's got a, a post describing how he did that and um, he's got the code up there on GitHub hey never mind but there you go and uh, so it's all <laughs> available for us and if you go to uh, we'll put a link to that in the in the show notes I was like kidding by the way, Clemens, uh, as long as it's open source, I'm happy. I'm very happy. In fact, you published it, and it's a good one to show you around and show you how it's done. Um, how about you, Greg? We've got to be something from, before we wrap up, there's got to be something from the Rangers. What have they been up to this week? They, Willie P posted like the one widget post to rule them all. The one list, you know, we're talking about the one list to rule all. He's got it. It's here. It's the Visual Studio ALM Community Widgets, which is, uh, we'll have the link in the show notes as well, but it's aka.ms slash widgets. And it truly is like the TFS utility list to rule them all, both from internal, from community, from third party. Some are commercials. Most of them are free. Uh, there's a massive list, including the power tools. Uh, just, you know, if you're doing TFS and you are like an accidental admin or a powered user, yeah, this is the cool list that you go have to go and check out. Cool. 
Um, so here we're coming to the towards the end of the show. If people have got uh, questions or feedback, then please do email us radio tfs at outlook dot com or drop us a voicemail on four two five two three three eight three seven nine. Uh, one of the emails that came through, uh, wanted to actually go through and read out, is from uh, Richard, a good friend, Richard Fennell, who we often cover. Actually, in, did we, we already talked about him. I'm not sure in the show. Yep. We often cover about, him, but yeah, he's a he's a listener of the show. And Richard said, um, I was listening to Radio TFS, and something you said raised a question for me. You said everyone has done has to have done security training in the past 12 months or else you cannot ship. He says, I'd always assumed your security training was classroom-based course. Um, I don't know if this is correct. Is the material externally available? And then he goes on to say, it never occurred to me before. What is the form of a course and the second and subsequent year? Do you do the same course again and again and again? <laughs> How do you stop it being stale? Or is it just some online refresher and pop quiz? And you went, I don't know if you're allowed to answer, but it would be interesting to have a chat about this as he's currently doing some work for his own group and would like to be more involved in security. So, Richard, um, it's a great question. Basically, uh, Novak would be extremely dull and uh, also wouldn't scale, you know, because I live in a field in the middle of Ireland and I, I had to go to my office to do new employee orientation. If I had to go to an office every six or so months to do security training, it would kill me. So, no, we don't do that at all. We have a lot of online um, training, a lot of, you know, computer-based training courses, various, you know, like CBTs, just like you expect you sort of uh, some security training things but we also have um sessions and videos from uh you know around security conferences and stuff that we do and um, in particular we have um, a conference that's run called blue hat which is kind of like a microsoft internal version of black hat but it's you get some fascinating content and there's actually a channel nine you know it's on the channel nine events is the blue hat security briefings right. um and they have some of the sessions online so we'll put a link into the um show notes but if you want to go along um and catch some of the 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 blue hat events they're really good and they're just worth looking through and they're, they're very varied you know they go from you know like cross-site scripting stuff and sql injection and stuff like that through to you know how to hack an atm or you know how to the the security and surveillance landscaping of you know three letter agencies trying to hack into cloud um computing things and what we need to do in our networks to protect against some of those things and some of that sort of stuff you know that's kind of interesting to people um so so do that and have a listen you know pick some of these events i would you quite often do um sort of brown bags don't you greg Wait, after tech heads and things where you get people in and yep. watch good sessions i would pick some of these security sessions to do as well in, in between the event because they're really good and really, really they're always fun the speakers are always really interesting really dynamic and you know really uh, part of the problem with security is thinking you know just making sure you have the right mindset and thinking like an attacker not thinking like the person coding um, and these really help you think like an attacker and really just open your eyes to the extent that people will go to to get into your code uh, and hack your code. That's funny, man. I'm like, you know, Mr. Channel 9. I, I moonlight yeah. and help them with a lot of different stuff. And I had not seen this series. This is awesome. Go. The psychology yeah, of computer really and security yeah. from the last 2013 talk. Now, I, what that's did I do awesome. recently? I did one, and it was it was like explaining the state of the art of like the underground hacker movements and things. I think I've got. Yes. I'm pretty sure that was one of those. The surveillance landscape and resistant 
design? No, it wasn't oh. that one. It was a different one. But it was, it was anyway. It was one of the ones <laughs> on the blue hat briefings. It was just they were all fascinating. They're all definitely worth watching. So uh, yeah, get ha- have a look through some of those. As well as that, one of the things I also do is listen to a different podcasts. And um, one of the, the Security Now podcast, you know, from Twitter is one that I keep right. an, an ear on. It's, you know, some of the things Steve says can be quite crazy at times. He's a bit of an old curmudgeon, but um, it does really help me keep up to speed with what's going on in the world. It's always good as well when we've had a big panic about some security issue and then it doesn't come up in the next week's show. I'm like, yes, we did it right, you know, because we'd managed to patch it and nobody noticed that was good. That was lucky. So, yeah, they're, they're my favorite shows. Most of the time I hear about it first on Security Now, which is always quite depressing. But there we go. Cool. Hey, well, that's definitely a show. So, as I say, if people do have um, other feedback and questions then do email us radiotfs at outlook.com but otherwise we shall speak to you next time on Radio TFS thanks for your time